Well, we are going to begin this morning the book of Philippians. We will be in Philippians throughout the semester. So if you've got a Bible, get over to Philippians chapter 1. I imagine a few of us are excited about the start of Aggie football this week, this Thursday. Uh, I am excited. I look forward to the football season throughout the summer, and uh, I know you are as well. Here's what I'm hoping is that uh, before the season is out, that we will see one of these, right? Uh, That we will win a game big enough that there will be some sort of reason for a Gatorade shower. Uh, All of us have seen this on the sidelines, maybe at the BCS championship or something along those lines. This guy here uh, looks like he's just uh, getting pounded by ice and Gatorade. It's a tradition that goes all the way back uh, to the 1980s. I don't know, about 35 or 40 years when a coach uh, is responsible for a big win. You know, they sneak up on him and they dump Gatorade on his head. I like the tradition. In fact, I was thinking this week, one of these days after Kenny finishes, if he does a particularly good worship set, I'm going to come up here with a, with a big bucket of Gatorade and just pour it on his head. And we're going to applaud, right? Just to celebrate how well he has done. Uh, I imagine if you see this and it's your team, you have a lot of thoughts and emotions. You're like, man, he is getting doused. But you're like, this is so exciting. I love that my team won. I love that they're honoring the coach. Here's something I would imagine has never gone through your mind at that moment. You've probably never thought, what a waste of Gatorade. Right? You've probably never seen that moment happen and thought, oh man, they, they could use that Gatorade for something else, like for something better. They could drink it. Uh, they could do a lot of things uh, with that Gatorade. You've never thought that before, right? Because in that moment, what's more important is to honor the coach. Now, imagine for a minute that uh, this happened like at your kid's birthday party. They're turning eight years old and you have made the Gatorade and somebody comes in like, woo! And they dump out all the Gatorade. You'd be like, come on. Like we needed that. That Gatorade was important. We're wasting the Gatorade. In that context, it would be a waste. In this context, it seems appropriate because you go, you know what? It's worth it to pour out the Gatorade in order to honor the coach for his great achievement. Now, why do I share that? The reason is this. As we move into the book of Philippians, here's where Paul is going to take us as we move through Philippians. He's going to say that compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything in your life is Gatorade. Everything you have, we're called to pour out at the feet of Jesus. And there's going to come a day when we stand at the throne of Jesus Christ. And I promise you, we're not going to say, man, I wasted all of that time I spent serving the people of God. I wasted all of that time I poured out sharing the gospel. I wasted all of that money that I gave to kingdom work so people could know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not going to say that. You're not going to have that moment where you go, man, that could have been used for something better than Jesus. Because it's Gatorade compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. So that as we move through the book of Philippians, what Paul is going to say is this. He says, you pour out your life for the gospel. You take everything that you have. And Paul will say, my life itself, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of of your faith. But he's going to say, even so, you know what I do? I rejoice and I share my joy. 
because no price is too great to pay to pour your life out in service of Jesus Christ. And here's what I love about the book of Philippians. What Paul could have done is he could have filled the book of Philippians with guilt trips, right? You're not giving enough. You're not serving enough. I know you slept in yesterday instead of going to help at the giveaway. Shame on you. He could have done that. But that's not what he does. The book of Philippians was actually written, the occasion that sparked it was a thank you note. The people of Philippi, the church in Philippi had sent Paul a financial gift while he was in prison to support him while he was in prison. So he writes this thank you note. And in the context of this thank you note, he says, look, the money that you gave, that you poured out for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to know that God is going to take that money and he's going to use it to continue the work of the gospel until the return of Jesus Christ. So he says, thank you. And then he goes on to say this, I want you to know just how great Jesus is so that you'll understand that whatever you give was worth it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, in my opinion, is the most powerful poem in the New Testament about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ came from heaven all the way to earth for us, for sinners like us. Paul says he humbled himself then to the point of death, even a cross death. And therefore what? God highly exalted him. And we just sang it, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, boom, every knee will hit the dirt and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's what Paul says, you set your eyes on him and the more you set your eyes on him, the less the things you give are gonna seem like a waste or a sacrifice because you're gonna say, everything I have is his. That's the power of the book of Philippians. Pour your life out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we move into it this morning, then what I want to do this morning is just fly over the book at 30,000 feet. I want to give a few key principles from the book. I'm going to give a little bit of background, but this is the essence that Paul will say, whatever you've got, your money, your time, your energy, your talents, your reputation, It belongs to Jesus. And he says, pour it out at the feet of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a little bit of background of the book as we move into it. The author is the Apostle Paul. The author is the Apostle Paul. At the very beginning of the book, it says Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Timothy was with Paul as he was writing the book. You remember, Timothy is his younger protege. But Timothy didn't actually write the book. Uh, It seems that Timothy has a relationship with the church in Philippi. So Paul includes his name. But as you read the book, it's clear Paul wrote it. The author is Paul. It's probably written around 60 to 62, AD 60 to 62. Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. He is awaiting trial before Caesar. He had preached the gospel. You may remember this from the book of Acts. When he preached the gospel in Jerusalem, he was arrested. He was taken before. uh, the governors of uh, Judea and even King Herod. And eventually he appeals to Caesar. And here he is awaiting trial before Caesar. And he takes the time to write 
letters. And so he writes this letter and the recipients are the church in Philippi. Now we're going to talk for just a minute about Philippi, where they were, who they were. So Paul is sitting in prison. He's writing this letter. Let me show you where Philippi is located just so you know. And I apologize. Uh, That map you probably can't see very well. So let me show you. Philippi is right up here in Macedonia. So this is Paul's uh, third, excuse me, second missionary journey. He had started in Jerusalem. He'd gone all the way up here through Galatia and this area. And then he gets a, he gets a vision of a man from Macedonia. And this man in Paul's dream says, you need to come over and help us. Right? So Paul goes over to Macedonia and he begins to preach the gospel starting in Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony. And let me give you just a little bit of background on the city of Philippi, because this will come into play later on in the book. Philippi at this point had been a formal Roman colony for about a hundred years. If you've ever, uh, you know, read Julius Caesar by Shakespeare, uh, some of the history that's in that play comes into the book of Philippi. You remember there were these two guys, Brutus and Cassius, that killed Julius Caesar, right? The whole et tu brute thing. Right? Brutus and Cassius then launched a war and they fought against the forces of Mark Antony. Right? Mark Antony fights Brutus and Cassius. It's here at Philippi in 42 BC where Mark Antony defeated Brutus and Cassius and took the Roman Empire back for the emperor. Right? And so here's, here's Philippi at this point. It becomes a Roman colony. This is significant. Why? Because now Philippi is a place where all of the people who live there have Roman citizenship. They could actually buy and sell property. Right? They could participate in the life of the government in a way that other colonies could not. Right? So here's Philippi exceedingly proud of their connection to Rome. And as a result, the religious life of Philippi The religious life of Philippi was one in which the primary religion was what we call the imperial cult. That is, they worshipped the emperor at the time of Paul. Now, they worshipped Roman gods, they worshipped Greek gods, they worshipped even Egyptian gods, but fundamentally they worshipped the emperor. So here goes Paul into Philippi uh, on his second missionary journey. And he begins to preach the gospel. And a few people trust in Jesus. And then a few more people trust in Jesus. You may remember Paul went to jail. And the jailer trusted Jesus after God shook the bars and opened up the gates of the jail. There's a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple cloth, a Jewish woman who trusts in Jesus. And so this little community begins to form. And a church begins to spread. And the gospel takes root. So that now some 10 or 12 years later, Paul in prison, as he's contemplating the possible end of his life, he writes to them and he says, I want you to remember the things that I told you. And again, as we said, he's going to say, you pour out your life for the gospel. Remember when I was with you, how I interacted among you, willing to go to prison for the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to look at Jesus Christ and remember what I taught you. This book is oozing with love and affection in a way that few of Paul's epistles are, right? Paul, I believe, loved everybody he preached the gospel to. But when we read the book of Philippians, we get the sense that this book is just overflowing with Paul's love for these people. And he says, I want you to take your life and you pour it out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we move through the book, let me, let me again fly over it and give us a few principles that relate to what God is going to call us to pour out for the gospel as we move into the book of Philippians. All right, first of all, he's going to say this, you pour out your small desires for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Can you guys advance that back there? I'm having a little bit of trouble. There we go. Pour out your small desires. Let me look at chapter two, verses three through five. If you've got your Bible, he says this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he launches into the passage I mentioned earlier, the famous Christ hymn of the book of Philippians. He says, look, pour out your small desires. If there's something you want that you think is important, that defines your life, you say, I want my reputation to be at a certain level. I want my comfort to be at a certain level. I need a certain amount of money. There's something that I chase after. Paul is going to say, you pour out your small desires. That is, you take those things that are rooted in selfish ambition. You say, I'll set aside my preferences. I'll set aside my selfish desires for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because again, compared to the glory of Jesus Christ, they're child's play. I was thinking this week about how when I was a kid, and and I'm going to share something embarrassing with you. When I was a child, for a period of time, uh, I collected um, Smurfs. So uh, some of you have have seen these. Now, if you were to ask me, like, did you really like the Smurf TV show? I would go, man, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember that they were little blue guys. I remember there was an evil wizard, Gargamel. But for some reason, the little rubber Smurf figurines were very attractive to me. And so I asked for these, you know, sometimes for my birthday or for Christmas. And I had Smurf figurines lined up in my room. And I had certain ones that I wanted to have, right? And so I collected these. I spent actual money on them, right? But at some point in my life, My desire to have more Smurfs gave way to other things, like supporting my family, (laughs) buying groceries. So so if if I were a grown adult and I came in this morning, I was like, man, I just got to show you guys something. Look at all my Smurfs. I've got hundreds of them. Now, I chose something that I thought, surely there are no adults in here that still collect these. Uh, If this is you, I'm sorry. But not really, right? Like if this is you, I think you've got some life choices you need to think about. Because at some point I said, you know what? There are more important things to spend my money on. All of us do that. You probably can think of something at some point in your life that's like, man, I wanted it. I invested time in it. I invested money in it. Maybe when you were a kid and you go, at some point I realized there are bigger things to do with my time and my money than buying Smurfs. That's the essence of where Paul goes as we move through Philippians. He says, man, in my flesh, I want people to think about me and what I want all the time. In my flesh, I want to amass things for myself. I want to amass a reputation for myself. And Paul's going to say as you move through Philippians, man, why... Are you buying Smurfs? Why are you investing your time and your energy to build a kingdom that's just going to crumble when what Paul is pointing our eyes to is the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ? And he says again, nothing you spend will be counted as a waste. 
And in fact, in chapter three, he's going to go into this concept. He says, whatever I had, he said, I counted it as loss. In other words, those things that I put in the plus column of my life before I knew Jesus Christ, I'm going to turn and I'm going to put them in the minus column because Jesus is so much greater. So if we have money, we direct it toward the things of Jesus Christ. If we have time, we direct it toward the things of Jesus Christ. If we have abilities, we direct them toward the things of Jesus Christ, that his name will be known. Paul says, you pour out your small desires for the sake of Jesus Christ. Pour out your small desires. Secondly, pour out your self-reliance. Let me show you chapter three, verses seven through 11. After listing all of his accomplishments as a Pharisee and as a Jew, he says this, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, before I knew Jesus, Here's what I did is I kind of ran on this hamster wheel of good works. He said, I stacked them up and I thought, if I can just be good enough, if I can just stack up enough good things that I have done, then I can be good enough to stand at the top of the heap of humanity and God will approve of me and the world will approve of me because I'm righteous, because I, I, I do all the right things. And he says, once I knew Jesus, here's what I began to understand. The only righteousness that counts is the righteousness that's found in Jesus Christ. You know why? Because no matter how many good works you stack up, you will never reach the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You'll never get there. Because you're a sinner. And you fall short in thought and deed every single You can't do it. How many times have you tried to be good and failed, right? It's, it's, we're moving into September now. So let me ask you this question. How are you doing with your new year's resolutions? How are you doing? How many of you began the year with a resolution? I don't know what it was. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. There's something that I eat right now. I'm going to stop eating it, right? I'm going to sleep better. I'm going to be nicer to my family this year. I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going to read it all in a year. This is the year. I'm going to do it, right? How are you doing with those New Year's resolutions? Now, if you're like 98% of those of us in the room, you don't even really remember what they are anymore, right? It's almost time to formulate some new ones for next year so we can talk again this time next year about how we fell short. Why? Because we try to convince ourselves, I can do this, right? I can be better. If I just white knuckle it and work harder, I'll be a good Christian. The kind that God really likes. And Paul says, when you stand before Jesus and you see the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what you're actually going to say is, oh, woe is me. I'm a sinner. 
think there might be a couple of types of people in here this morning. There are some of you that if I were to ask you, how do you know that you can have eternal life, right? How do you know that you're going to heaven? If you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? Your answer is going to be something like this, because I went to church. I didn't cheat on my taxes. I didn't cheat on my spouse. I didn't drink too much. I tried to do the right things. I'm pretty good. I loved people. I tried to love God. I, I, I. And yet Paul is going to turn that concept on its head and say, nobody's going to stand before God and be able to say, I did, I earned, I deserve. Because you don't. And so he says, you pour out your self-reliance and instead what you do is you transfer all of that trust to Jesus so that when you stand before Jesus Christ, you say, there's nothing I've done that merits eternal life. But Jesus Christ gave me his righteousness when he died for my sin and he rose again. That's the good news. And Paul says, you pour out that self-reliance. I think that's one sort of person. Maybe you actually on some level believe that you will earn eternal life by what you do. And the book of Philippians will tear that apart. The other person who is in here is somebody that says, well, I don't believe that. I've trusted in Jesus. I believe that salvation comes only through Jesus. But on a day-to-day basis in your Christian life, you are running on that hamster wheel and you say, if I can just work a little harder, Try a little harder. I will finally be the good Christian I have always tried to be. Right? And it's not that the scripture uh, is against hard work or discipline. But it's that when we stand before Jesus Christ, see, the issue is going to be, did you rely on Jesus Christ to approach the righteousness of God? Not did you run faster. Not did you try harder. In fact, in chapter three, Paul's gonna say, I strain ahead toward the upward call of the goal of the prize of Jesus Christ. But what's he looking at? He says that I may know what? Know him. Here's what Paul says. If you want to walk with God deeply, the the, the way to do that is not to white knuckle and try harder. Instead, the way to do that is you say, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, right? So in those moments, for example, when you feel shame and you say the shame of what I feel about myself and about my life, that leads me to act out sexually, that leads me to abuse substances, that leads me to abuse food and drink, that leads me to a dark place in my mind and my body. He says, here's what you do. You look at Jesus and you say, Jesus died for me. Jesus rose for me. Who does Jesus say I am? I am a saved man or woman because Jesus loves me. I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to go to the darkness. I run to the light. When I'm angry at somebody else because they don't match my expectations, because they don't meet my needs and I drift into selfish ambition, what do I do? Paul says, you look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? He died for men and women who rebelled against God. He died for the men and women who pounded him to the cross. He says, you look at Jesus, and the more deeply you look at Jesus, the more out of your heart and out of your body and out of your mouth It's going to flow the righteousness that reflects Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul will say, stop running faster, white knuckling it, trying harder. Instead, you look up and you look at Jesus and you say, I trust in you to give me the righteousness that I don't have. Pour out your self-reliance. This is hard for us. I think it's especially hard for us as Americans because it's written into the very ethic of our culture that if we work hard enough, we can get to the top of the mountain. And the gospel says, nope, it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Pour out your self-reliance. And then thirdly, he's going to say this, you pour out your earthly loyalties. Pour out your earthly loyalties. Chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. Now, you'll remember a few minutes ago, I mentioned this, that the Philippians were very, very proud of their Roman citizenship. Right? It gave them privileges other people in the world didn't have. They viewed themselves as a little Rome. They were very proud of it. And as a result of that pride, they often were tempted to look to their pride in their citizenship instead of to Jesus. Right? And so Paul says this, where's your citizenship? Well, your citizenship is in heaven. Right? I think this is particularly important. For those of us who live in this country, in this day and age, right? Because again, as Americans, most of us would say, I take pride in being an American, right? We stand up at at baseball games and we literally sing a song called, I'm proud to be an American. Because we are. And Paul doesn't say, look, you shouldn't love Rome. Paul doesn't say you shouldn't love your city. Instead, he says this, your primary citizenship is to Jesus Christ, right? Because in the kingdom of God, there's not going to be anybody that stands up and says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You know what everybody will do? Every knee will hit the dirt and say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. So that when we think of our loyalties, when we think of our allegiance, My citizenship is first in heaven. And what Paul says is, I want you to begin to pour out those earthly loyalties, those tribal allegiances. How do you think of yourself first? As an American? As a Republican or a Democrat? As the member of some ethnic or racial group? Or as a citizen of Jesus Christ's kingdom? Several years ago, we had a friend of mine come and, and spoke at Grace, a man that I knew from seminary. His name is Celestin Musakura, and he grew up in Rwanda. He lost a lot of his family members in the genocide of 1994, and then the revenge killings that followed the genocide. And now what he does is he teaches and he writes on the subject of forgiveness And one of the things he's done is he's gotten Hutu tribesmen and Tutsi tribesmen and women together in a room, often pastors who hate those from the other tribe and said, how do we achieve reconciliation? And he said, here's the only way to achieve reconciliation. He said, the problem in the church in Rwanda in 1994 was often that people thought, I am a Hutu 
Christian. I am a Tutsi Christian. And they put the tribe first. And they put Jesus second. And he said, we need to flip that over. And you put Jesus first. And you put your tribe a distant, distant second. And what Paul will say in Philippians 3 is your citizenship is in heaven so that your primary goal in life is not to represent some earthly loyalty, but actually to represent the kingdom of God. You think of yourself as an ambassador to a foreign land from the kingdom of heaven. Many years ago, my wife and I, when we were newly married, I've told you before, we worked at a camp in New York, in upstate New York. And I'm sure there's a lot of things they do well in New York, but salsa is not one of them. Uh, they, they do not uh, make it well. And so, you know, so, so one day there were a couple of different kinds of like New York salsa and they're arguing about them, like which one is better. And I'm thinking these are both awful, right? These are both terrible. Right? You, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like arguing about which kind of ramen noodle is the best from, you know, the little can or whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to make you some Texas salsa. Right? I am going to represent the homeland in a way that will bring honor. Now, what I could have done is I could have joined in their argument, right? I could have argued about which of the terrible New York salsas was the best. We could have divided up into teams and had some sort of, you know, salsa competition based on, you know, awful salsas, determine which one was like the second worst and which one was the very worst, whatever it was, you know. But I said, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to point you to something greater and higher and better. (laughs) Because we know salsa, right? So I made them some and they thought it was too hot, but it was really, really (laughs) very, very good. Right, but, but Paul says, why are you sitting here arguing about which earthly tribe, which earthly party, which earthly kingdom is best? Why are, why are you engaged in those arguments instead of saying, hey, there's, there's something so much better, so much higher, so much greater. You pour out your earthly loyalties and you transfer your allegiance to Jesus Christ. So the book of Philippians, he says, you pour out your small desires pour out your self-reliance, you pour out your earthly loyalties, right? Again, he's going to say this, you pour out your life for the gospel. Pour out your life for the gospel. Let me ask you a question then as we wrap up. What's your Gatorade? Right? What's the thing that you say, I've got to have this? What is the thing that as you're drifting off to sleep at night, you think, man, if If this were gone from my life, if I lost this in service of Jesus Christ, my world would be wrecked. What's your Gatorade? Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it is your political viewpoint. Maybe it's that you see yourself as a good person. And so you turn your eyes to yourself instead of to Jesus. And here's what Paul's going to say again as we move toward Philippians. You take that big bucket and you dump it out at the feet of Jesus Christ. And then you get down on your knee and you say, His is the name that is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. and Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Will our lives reflect that? So that's where we're headed in the book of Philippians this fall. I'm excited to go there as we pour out our lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray and then also take a moment as you leave to uh, look at the ministry tables at the back. And uh, they also told me, don't forget, though, to go get your children. Okay, let me, uh, <laughs> let me close us in prayer. Father, we're grateful for this time. We're grateful for your word. Lord, there are so many things that, that grab our attention and our allegiance and our hope besides you. Forgive us. Teach us to pour out our lives for the sake of the good news. And as we, as we do that, Father, I pray then that we would be faithful ambassadors to share the good news with those around us at our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our homes. Father, we pour ourselves out for you because Jesus poured himself out for us by the power of your spirit, make us faithful. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.